Our scripture lesson today comes from Ephesians 2 as we continue on through the book of Ephesians between now and Labor Day, if you'll share in God's good word with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Dave, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm a, an executive assistant at a major pet products company. Dave, I don't want you to tell us what you do. I want you to tell us who you are. Oh, all right. Um, I'm a pretty good guy. I, um, I like playing tennis on occasion. Uh, also... Not your hobbies, Dave. Just simple. Tell us who you are. I just... Maybe you could give me an example of what a good answer would be. Um, What did you say? (laughs) You want Lou to tell you who you are. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What would you say? What do you say? When somebody asks you, well, tell me about yourself, what do you tell them? For most of us, we tell them what we do, not who we are, or we tell them about our hobbies. Again, Dave, not your hobbies. Who are you? Or we want somebody else to tell us who we are, don't we? These are, it's not an easy question to answer. And so over these uh, six weeks uh, from last week until Labor Day, we're going to be looking at this um, identity question. Who are we? Who are we really? Um, and, And how do you know? And so if you have your sermon note, I invite you to take those out um, and follow along if that's helpful to you. Uh, If not, that's okay too. Last week, uh, we learned this. What we do changes. Will you say that with me? What we do changes. Who we are lasts forever. Will you say that with me? Who we are lasts forever. Isn't that true? That what you do at 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30, 40, 50, 70, those things change. I I hope, right? Right? Uh, what you do at this point is not what you do over here. It, it changes. That's fine. But who you are, the core of who you really are, that lasts forever. It lasts forever. Maybe you've been to a family reunion or a high school reunion, and, and somebody from across the room moves their head just a certain way, or maybe it's the tone of their voice, and you're like, oh, I know you. Wow, that can't be them. It is them. That can't be them. Because their body has changed, but their essence has not changed. You know who they are. You, you have a certain kind of relationship with them, and you, you know that person, not by what they look like, but by who they are. So last week, we addressed um, one of three lies we're going to look at today. The first lie is, I am what I do. Is that true? No, you are much more. You are much more than that, right? And this is why it's so important uh, that you start learning this now, because otherwise, if you don't learn this, you're in for a very bumpy ride at retirement, I see it all the time. People come to see me um, a month or two after retirement, and their life is falling apart because they don't know who they are anymore because it used to only be who, what they did. And now that they don't do that, now they don't know who they are, and they're lost. And their husband or their wife is driving them crazy because now they're home in their business. They need to go back to work, but there's no work to go back to. It's very important that we understand that we're not simply what we do. And, and last week, if you were with us, we learned from Ephesians chapter 1 that it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. 
That's how Eugene Peterson translates Ephesians 1.11. Will you read it with me? It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So this week, who am I? I mean, not just me, but like, who are we? Who are you? Who are y'all? Who are all y'all? Right? Because when the Bible speaks, it speaks to all of us together as a collective, not simply as individuals. Um, but I'll just use myself for an example. Uh, here I am. Who am I? Who am I? Now, I had to turn this sideways because I'm a big deal. You, you know, lots going on in my life here, right? So um, I, I know there was some time that happened before I was born, but not much. So really, the world starts in 1967 because that's when I'm born, November 1967. And so you say, well, well who, who am I? Well, you might talk about my family. I was born to John and Carol Foster. You might talk about my sister, who's, you know, 26 months older than I am. You might talk about my pets, or I went to school, or that I graduated high school in 86, or from O State in 90, or from SMU in 96, uh, or from Fuller in 2015. And then you get to today, 2018. Now, this is all education, because a lot of folks in my profession, we talk about who we are by our degree. Or, or by where we went to school, right? So when somebody says, are you a cowboy or a sooner or a broncho or you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? And so you have these identities. Well, at 2018, that's today, um, you can do this little thing. I, I try to do this every year. It just keeps me grounded. Um, it's not very spiritual, but it, it is actually very helpful in my spiritual life. I go to deathclock.com. You can, go, you can Google it right now on your phone if you want. Um, deathclock.com, and you put in when you were born, um, you base, your basic outlook on life, uh, your body mass index, and it'll tell you when you're going to die. And so for me, I'm going to die on my anniversary of all days, Thursday. It's a Thursday. I'm going to die on a Thursday, August 30th, 2040, right? So it doesn't look good for me. I've only got 22 years left, according to Death Clock. And, and, and my current job, my current weight, I'm going to be dead in 22 years. So I don't have much room here. I mean, that's, that's all that I got left. Right, basically the age of my kids, for me. So what I do with that, and you can do the same thing. What, what is that? Now you can get really depressed about this, or you can get real excited about this, because you know what this is called? A tiny little life. It's tiny, blink of an eye. It goes fast, doesn't it? Those of you who have kids, it goes faster and faster and faster and faster. And so on my big, my huge life, I got about that much left. Now, I'm not trying to depress you. I just want to put it in perspective um, because I want to show you some other things. Um, now, this is the world, right? And we can debate about when Adam was around or when humankind showed up, whether that's you know, 6,000 B.C. or 8,000 or 4,000 or whatever. And so a long time before Moses ever showed up. But what we do know, I'm pretty sure about, is that Moses lived. We've got documentation about this in the year 1300 B.C. 1,300 years before Jesus, you've got the Exodus event. We know that. And then Jesus was born four years before he was born. I don't know how that's possible, but scholars say that he was born in 4 BC now. They used to say it was zero, then they moved it back. Anyway, roughly, right, uh, Jesus was born in 4 BC. And then you have got one church all the way to 1,054. That's a, that's a pretty big swath of time. And so when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, that's what we mean, the whole church, when we're all together, everybody who's baptized. And then you have two churches after that until the Protestant Reformation in 1517, east and west. You've got the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church and all those. Uh, and then basically, with the Protestant Reformation, you now have thousands of different denominations, tribes, stripes, however you want to talk about it. Then you've got American 1776, 
Oklahoma, you know, baby state in 1907. And then, okay, hit him with it. Mark shows up. I mean, right? Right? It's a tiny little life. It's not that it's unimportant to me, but it's, let me just keep this in perspective. Now, what is Jesus Lord of? All of it and more. Not just our world, not just time, not just this universe. God spoke and all the universes came into being, not just ours, right? Everything comes from God who's eternal. So, I want you to think about your life, maybe where you are in your life and where that fits and who's in charge. It's not you, not by a long shot. And that's what we learn in Ephesians. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus um, as the capital city of more than 500 uh, towns around him that people would know that God is in charge and you have nothing to fear because you're a child of his. So the second lie I want to talk about today, the first being last week, you are what you do. The second is this. The world says, I am what I have. Isn't that true? You are what you have. So you, so you start talking to people and they say, well, tell me about yourself. You say, well, I live in this neighborhood. Or I drive this kind of car or I do these sorts of hobbies, right? So it's about your home or your family. I have kids or I'm building a home. Isn't that true that what you talk about? Oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a home or I just moved in uh, or we're thinking about moving there. I've lived here for 20 years or whatever it is. A lot of times people talk about the things they have. Or um, if you're like me, a lot of people talk about their level of education uh, or where your kids are in education, right? My kids went to this high school or this elementary school or this college or that university or these are where I went. And so a lot of people, they have an education. So when we talk about I am what I have, I don't, wanna, I don't want it to be so narrow that it's, we're talking about money. No, no, no. It's much bigger than that, right? It's your family. It's your education. It's your home. It's how many Facebook likes you have. Right? How many followers? I mean, talk to your kids. And you have a good day when you, when you have a thousand people say, yay, I like your photo. I like this on Instagram or like that. Boo, if you post something and nobody responds. Have you ever done that? You post something? You're like, is this thing working? Where happened to all my friends? Oh, no. I'm a nobody. Nobody liked my thing. Oh. It's a crazy train. Right? Or I got a perfect body. Right? Perfect clothes. Perfect friends. Perfect social group. These are all things that people have. And it's the American way, isn't it? And the, the American way is this. That the more you have, the better you what? Feel or the better you are, right? Right? That's called the American way. That's why people sell you stuff that you don't need. That you don't have room for in your house. So you get off-site storage. Right? Crazy train. This is the world we live in. Right? When I grew up, there were bumper stickers and uh, license plates that said this. Who dies with the most toys wins. Do you remember those? If you're my age, you probably remember those. Um, and, and what they mean by that is, you know, if you've got enough money and you make enough money, you have boats and cars and planes and technology, and whoever has the most of that stuff, you're the most important person in the room or on the block or in your society. And people buy into that. That's what the world says. Whoever has the most stuff wins. Uh, that's not what God says. And you might be saying, you're like, okay, Pastor Mark's being silly today. Nobody really believes that. We know better than that. No, no, no. Todd Gurley believes it. You don't know Todd? This is what he said yesterday. Whoever said money don't make you happy lied. He said this after his four-year, $60 million contract extension. He's all in. He's willing to risk his life, a head injury, a catastrophic brain injury for the rest of his life because he thinks the $60 million is more important than his health. Now, he may not tell you that. But we, we know what happens to professional football players over time. 
right? I mean, you, you gotta, I mean, people are bought into this stuff, that you are what you have and nothing more, nothing less. Is that true? Absolutely not. And here's the, here's the problem with this. Because if you lose what you have, you feel what? Terrible. Loss. Right? If you lose what you have, you feel bad. So here, here's the thing, right? Um, you're having a bad day. You go to the mall. You get some stuff. You feel good for a little bit. Right? You get that little buyer's high. And then later, you get what? The buyer's remorse. Like, why did I buy that? I don't know. Don't need that. And then you've got debt or other things, right? So if you get stuff, you feel good. If you lose stuff, you feel bad or badly, right? And here's, here's the truth. We should all get this T-shirt. He who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? Death rate, 100% in America. It's true. We're still going to die. We're all going to die. So that's line number two. Line number three is this. The world says that I am what other people say about me. Woo. That's a toughie. If you can dodge one and dodge two, this won't get you most of the time. I am what other people say about me. And depending on your family system, that can get really out of whack. For some people who have glowing grandmothers and those sorts of things, you get this really inflated sense of self, and then you get out of high school or college, and you're like, wow, I am not as good as my grandma tells me I am. <laughs> or the other way around. Maybe you came from a really abusive home, and, and you don't think you, you're good at all in any way about anything. Right? This is deadly stuff we're talking about. Because if this is your life, then we're dependent on our moods, aren't we? Good moods one day when people speak well of me and I get stuff. Bad moods when people um, speak you know, bad stuff about me. They cluck or they gossip, which people do. Um, or I lose my stuff. Any of y'all lost something? It's depressing. You know, you lose, particularly something that you love, an heirloom, a pet, a loved one. I mean, you, it's just, you know comes and goes. And we're very vulnerable here. I mean, if this is our life, we're up, we're down. It's a roller coaster of a life. And we can't seem to, to find our, our, our rudder or our moorings because we're owned by our feelings. And it's a miserable life. And it's not the life that God has for us. Because what's being happening in this is that you're being told by a world that you do not belong to who you are. The world that you don't belong to is telling you who you are. You're being tricked by the world and being beaten down by this temporary little life, a tiny little life, that that's who you are. That's not who you are. And we become victims of our own making in our own little world. Now, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus calls belonging to the world. This miserable life of I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what other people say that I am. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not you. You don't belong to this world. And in John, he says this, if you belong to the world, Jesus says this, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Say that with me. You do not belong to the world, right? Look at somebody else in the room and say, you do not belong to the world. Tell them, you do not belong to the world. That's absolutely not true. You do not belong to the world. What does Jesus say? He says in John fifteen nineteen, I have chosen you out of the world. That's what he says. You don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world, Jesus says. Say that with me. I have chosen you out of the world. That's the truth about you. So Jesus' whole message is that you are not what you have. You are not what, you, uh, what other people say about you. That's not who you are. You're chosen. You're a child of God. Son, a daughter, an heir. A grown heir in the kingdom of God and the family of God. An inheritance of grace and power and forgiveness. To share in the work and the joy of the family business. Something that's available to us today. Jesus says, I hold you, I saw you, I called you by name, I brought you for all eternity, and you are united with me in love forever. Forever. 
I called you. I loved you from eternity. I loved you and looked upon you with great affection. Great affection. Now, it's important that we get this right because if we don't, we fall into two temptations. The first is lust. And that is, if you think that you are what you have, if that's the most important thing about you, then you always got to have more, right? So I want more to feel what? Better. That's the way that works. And again, I'm not talking just about money. It's whatever your thing is. Now, we don't have to go through those litanies. You all know them in your own heart. Whatever you turn to when you're sad, that's your God. That's what you lust after, whatever that thing is. And so we just need to understand that this is a really deadly cycle that we lust for more and more and more and doesn't work. The second uh, vice is anger, right? Because if you are only what other people say you are, then when they talk well about you, you feel great. And when they say bad stuff about you, you get angry. You're like, that's not true. That's not right. I got to set them right. And then we get on Facebook. That's not right. That's not me. I'm better than that. See how skinny I was when I was 12? You know, boom, we put up photos, whatever. All right. You ever notice that when people are having a bad day, they put up photos like 40 years ago? All right. And we get angry. Don't you get angry? Somebody says something that's not so nice about you, particularly if it's true. You know, you're really angry, defensive. Well, that's not true. It is true. But I don't want people to know it's true. And we're angry. And we get really angry. Now, we particularly get angry with people who don't love us perfectly. Right? The people that we love the most. And we expect them to treat us with the love that God has for us. And no mortal can do that. Right? Henry Nouwen says that that's the moment when kissing turns to biting and caressing turns to slapping. Because we're so broken. And everybody in the world's broken. And we're hurt and we're angry. Because we forget that no one except for Jesus lives a perfect loving life. We need Jesus to fill that in. Right? So this, this anger, this lust, are the greatest enemies of the spiritual life. It's been true for thousands of years. There's nothing new under the sun here. But it's a good reminder. So Henry Nouwen puts it like this. He says, when you're dead, you're dead. It's pretty profound. You don't have anything. That takes care of number two. And no one talks about you anymore. It takes care of number three. So when you get to heaven, you don't have to worry about two and three. It's over. You don't have anything. You're just a soul. You don't have stuff. And nobody's talking about you, right? You, you notice that? After a few years, somebody's passed. People don't talk about them almost ever, right? You don't have to worry about it. So I want to thank Carter Jennings. He sent me uh, this, and I think he's exactly right. Uh, this comes from Henry Nowen. He says, there are five lies about our identity. Um, if you don't know Henry Nowen, I recommend him to you. Just an amazing priest who taught at Notre Dame and then Yale and then Harvard uh, Divinity and uh, then the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, Henry, now you're much more than your degrees. You're much more than these speaking cir- circuits. Yes, you're wonderful, but um, you need to know that you're wonderful just because of who I made you. And so he called him to a mentally handicapped facility in France called La Arche. And he spent the remainder of his ministry and priesthood there. And he said all the accolades and all the titles and all the education did him no good because all the people wanted to know was did he love them? Yes or no? Would he show love to them? Yes or no? And he grew so deep in his faith and his spiritual life. So he says, here they are. We've covered many of these. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. In the coming weeks, I hope to get to these two because they're really powerful. I am nothing more than my worst moment. That's a toughie. I hope you'll remember that today. You're much more than your worst moment. God says you are. Never forget that. You're not your worst moment. You're forgiven of that. Accept it. Move into it. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, by grace, not your own work. 
And the other is also true. I'm nothing less than my best moment. Well, sure you are. You know, I always get sad when people tell me about, you know, uh, their touchdown when they were, you know, 40 years ago or their great baseball game or whatever it was. I mean, we all have good moments, but you're so much more than that. You know, you can't live in the past. It's just sad. Those, those are the things that rob us of our life that really is our life. Jesus says this, I love you not because of what you have. I love you not because what others say about you. I love you because I love you because I love you. That's it. That's it. I love you because I love you because I love you. That's what God says about you. Now, the early church struggled with this, as we still struggle with this. And the context of Ephesians is that there is this long-standing separation between Jews and non-Jews. Jews and what we know as Gentiles. It's hard for us to get our minds around this because Jesus has absolutely wiped this out. When he came on the cross and he died through his blood and was resurrected, the power of the resurrection wiped out all class distinction for all time. Now, it's still around. You and I both know this, but it's not supposed to be. We are to be people who bring the whole world together. That's what the people of God are to do. And it was such a divisive issue in the time of Jesus and the temple that they actually had a wall between Jews and Gentiles. And the inner courts, the Jews could go. If you were not a Jew, you could not go. That little half wall there was the separating point. You could come close to the temple. They would take your money. They would take things around you. You could sort of know about God, but you could not be intimate with God. That was restricted for the Jews alone until the time of Jesus. And this wall would separate people. And so this letter to the Ephesians, to the capital city where all these other cities were around it, this is an open letter. It's a, it's a cyclical. It would go around, to, and it was a call for both non-Jews and Jews alike to share in this redemptive work of bringing all people together under the lordship of Jesus, under the resurrected Jesus in his power. That's what Ephesians is meant to do. And so it says this, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. That would be the devil. All of us, say all of us with me, All of us, that includes all of us, once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh, our natural abilities and senses. And we were by nature, say by nature with me, by nature, all of us, children of wrath. Like everyone else, no distinction. Everybody's in the same boat here. But God, who is rich in mercy, now but God is probably the two most important words in the Bible. Right? But God, he's got a different plan. Out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then say it with me. By grace you have been saved. It's done. Have been. Have been saved. You are saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, Paul writes as a lawyer, he gives you the setup and then he tells you why. So that in the ages to come, that's us, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're here today because of what Jesus has done. So that. So this is what God wants you to know. And that is that grace is God's, say it with me, unmerited favor. Now, we don't use unmerited much, particularly in America. We always talk about merits. Right? We, we look for people who are rising stars. They're rising stars because of things they can do. And we try to identify people by what they can do because it makes us money. Right? You get other people to do stuff. You take credit for it. You get money. You manage that well. You manage other people well. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's, not, that's not what we're about. It's not this world. God's grace is, say it again with me, unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't find it. You can't take it. And that's why at communion, we never have people like, oh, give me some Jesus. No, no, no. It's offered to you. You may or may not receive it. We don't ever have people come take communion. 
you receive communion. Isn't that true? That here, when you step here, you are, have the opportunity to engage again and receive the power that's greater than this world, better than your life, bigger than this life, bigger than the universe. And then make no mistake about this. Paul never says save because of faith. He says you're saved through faith. And many scholars will now say that it's actually Jesus' faith that saves you, not even your own. It is Jesus that saves you. Nothing you can do to earn it or take it. So in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. Not the result of work so that no one may boast, not one. Now, salvation is the same word, uh, sozo, in the Greek, and it is a gift. Sozo means healing. It means salvation. They use those interchangeably. The crooked places are made straight. Those things that are out of joint come back into joint. Now, before we get too Pollyanna about this or think that it's just, you know, all beautiful rainbows and unicorns, um, let me remind you what salvation is, what it really is, what it looks like. This is the Lawton City Pool. I worked there two years. If, if, you, if you want to see the depths of humanity, go work at a city pool. I mean, seriously. People do the grossest stuff. And salvation looks like this. I was a lifeguard for two years. Um, and basically what happens is when, some, when you get to the point where you actually have to get in and get someone, when they've been underwater long enough where you know they're not going to come up on their own and nobody else is going to get them up, you have a decision to make to risk your own life and to go get them. That's the only way you're going to save them. And so you do. Now, when you bring them up out of the water, it's not pretty. You risk your own life. They'll fight you. They have now taken on water in their lungs and often in their belly. And when you pull them out, whatever's in their lungs and in their belly comes out on you. Whatever that is. This pool is a lot of hot dogs. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's a four-year-old who's gutter crawling down and they get separated by the floaty and then nobody notices them and you've got to get them, uh, or a grown adult that goes off the high dive um, and somehow thinks they're just going to learn how to swim. But in any case, let's just make, make clear about this. Everybody here has a salvation story if you'll receive it. And every salvation story has some ugliness to it. It's gross. Any of you all ever had your marriage saved? You, you don't save a good-looking marriage. Any of y'all ever been saved from addiction, from alcoholism or or narcotics? That that doesn't happen. It's not pretty. If any of you have ever been saved from a food addiction or some other kind of addiction, I mean, it is a nasty, dirty, hard, gross, terrible thing that God makes beautiful. Becomes your testimony, gives you a new way of life if you live into it. For good works to become your way of life, He has saved you from that old life for something new. But let's make no mistake about salvation isn't this this nice and easy churchy kind of thing. It is a gross thing that you kind of hope nobody ever finds out about. That's what real salvation is. Otherwise, you wouldn't need saving. Does this make sense? It's really important that we own this. I mean, Jesus didn't die for us to have just a little easier life. He died that we would live, really live. The Scripture says we are what God has made us, nothing more nothing less. And we are created for good works, not because of good works, but for good works. Say that with me. We are created for good works. Now, you'll hear me say this a lot, that you know, good works needs to be a part of your life. It is a uh, revelation that you are saved. It doesn't save you. People get those confused. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are what God has made us, not what we've made ourselves, created in Christ Jesus for, say it with me, 
good works. That's to be our way of life. Our whole way of life. Not just Sundays, not Sundays and Wednesdays, not sometimes, not in a spiritual season. Our whole way of life. All of it, all the time. Because what Christ has done for us, it's something we do in gratitude. It is to be our way of life. Really, our way of life. All of it. And here's the caution, of course, that as it becomes our way of life, we can forget what Christ has done. We can forget how desperately we needed him. And we, we think that somehow the works are connected to our salvation. They are not. They're a result, not the cause. The result. And they must necessarily follow, by the way, says our founder and the Lord himself and his brother James. And so in Ephesians, it says this. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, every single person on the planet, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God. That's who we are without God. No hope in this world. Of course not. There's always a temptation to divide what Jesus unites. And he's united the whole world. And still yet we have people in the church saying, no, 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 not them. No, 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 not them. No, 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 not them. Really what we want are people to come to church just like us who live in our neighborhoods and have nice kids. Really, we want their kids to be a little smarter than ours so they can tutor them if we get in trouble. That's not what Jesus came to do. Right? He says that we can love now. We can love. We can really love because Christ first loved us. This is our first love. This is our identity. This is our first identity. And the great temptation is not to believe this, to not believe that we're really loved. But we are. And we must believe this if there's going to be peace on earth if we're actually going to be reconciled, that this wall right here is really torn down, and that we don't make other ones of our own making, in our own minds, in our own cliques, in our own life, that we have to tear it down, keep it down. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, those who were on the other side of that wall, are now brought together, brought near because of the blood of Christ. For Christ is our peace. In the flesh, he's been made both groups, both groups. All the folks that were outside for thousands of years, he's made them one group. Do you have any folks that you're still divided with in your life? They're people that you don't want in your group. Jesus says, no, we're all one. Because Christ has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Is there a group that you're hostile towards in your mind? I mean, imagine this. The, the only way that our country is actually going to come back together between Republicans and Democrats is that we decide that Christ is more important than either. That's the only way that happens. And it's possible, but we're people who love to pull up walls and put them right back up. Jesus has torn them down, and we put them right back up. Jesus says, no, no, no. And, of course, that's just one nation. Every nation struggles with this. We're not alone in that. Every nation, every tribe keeps putting up walls where Christ tears them down. In case we missed it, Paul doubles down. He says, he's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself, say it with me, one new humanity. That's what we're about. One new humanity, not the old way, in place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The unity of Christians is based on our participation in the one spirit. That's why we named the church Acts 2, because it's by the Spirit that we live and move and have our being. It is by the Spirit of Christ that we have hope. And when we try to you know, reconcile things without God's power and Spirit, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. So the Scripture says, For through Jesus, both of us have access in one Spirit to the Father. It is the Spirit of God that makes these things possible by power. And so I want, I want to ask you to do something that's really tough but really beautiful, and it will change the world if we do it. And that is treat everyone you meet as a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
Full rights, privileges, love, grace, power, all of it. Every single person that you meet. A true citizen of God's kingdom. And this is important that we do because we are loved by a God who is only love. And who's out of love we are born and we return to him. And this God of love has given us a heart to love and nothing else. That's what we're here to do is to love one another. That's what Jesus says. My prayer for you is to love one another. And nothing else. Not a position, not a place, not a power, not a possession, not even a possibility. And we love people with possibility. But Christ says, no, 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 no. It's not about even their possibility. It's that you love them, that you love them, that you love them. In the same way that I love you because I love you because I love you. Nothing more. Nothing less. I want to close with a story um, that Andy found this week as we were doing our research uh, for this sermon. And every metaphor breaks down in some way. But I, I want you to hear a story about salvation in very real terms because we need to be people who get real with our salvation. This was back in the time of the Civil War, and there was a Union soldier um, who lost his brother and his father in the war. And he had to go back home to help his mom and his sisters. Now, I don't know if he was the last remaining male in his family system or not, but in any case, he felt like God was calling him home to take care of his mom and his sisters, that they were not going to make it without him. And so he traveled all the way to Washington, D.C. to talk to the president and ask for an exemption from military service so they could care for his family because he was concerned they weren't going to make it without him. And when he arrived, an official at the door of the White House said, you can't get in here. He's the president. He's far too busy to see you. Go back and serve like you're supposed to. The soldier forlorn went away and found a park and just collapsed on a nearby park bench trying to figure out what he was going to do. How could he tell his mother and his sisters what had happened that even though he had promised to be there and to take care of them, he would not be there. He was not allowed to be there. And he wept. Distraught. Alone. Without hope. And there was a young boy in that park and he saw him sitting there. And he asked him, he said, why are you, why are you so sad? Why are you unhappy? What's wrong? And the soldier began to pour out his heart and he told him that he was desperately needed back at the farm and that the only person who could help him was the president himself. And the little boy reached up and grabbed his hand and said, come with me. And he took him to the back door of the White House, past the officials, past the guards, and walked into the room. He didn't even knock. And when he got in the room, there was Abraham Lincoln. And the president looked up and said, What can I do for you, Tad? And the boy said, Dad, this person needs to speak to you. This person, by the hand of the son, brought to the father for a solution that only the father could offer. That's how it is with you. That's how it is with me. The things in our tiny little world, our tiny little world are well beyond us. We need a Savior, a Son that will take us to the Father, that all the dividing, all the hostilities, all the wars would cease and be brought together. Amen? This is who we are. Our salvation is secure. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, help me to accept myself the way I am, knowing that I am what you have made me, the work of your hands, the master creator. I never need to doubt my abilities because I am created in Christ and have been perfectly prepared to fulfill my calling. 
In Christ, I am saved by grace. In Christ, I am saved by grace. In Christ, I am saved by grace. Let my life say thank you every day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are enough, that you are God who saves us because of your love, because of your grace. And every wall that has been lifted up, you have torn down. Help us to trust you enough to leave those down and to live into the good works that you have for us, our way of life. And Lord, where we fail and we fall and we don't know what to do, we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.